monsters, madness, and magic. Alright, so before I give you guys the floor, first I want to start off by saying, Vincent, uh, you got to forgive my ignorance. I did not know that you were the bassist on No Fear to Preserve, and that's a killer fucking record. I just wanted to say good job um, first off on that. I should actually clarify that um, I didn't actually play bass on it, but I was, I was just in the band when it was released, and I know my photo's in there too. It was just the timing of it. Ah, uh, oh, shit. felt that way. <laughs> yeah. I've had, I've had lots of people uh, say the same thing. Um, yeah, I think the basis isn't credited. No, the basis oh, is, is. Okay. is credited in there. But. Oh, but well, yeah. that's unfortunate. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P., bro. <laughs> yeah, you may be. Yeah, I just, I just fumbled that from the beginning. All right, interview's over. <laughs> All right. All right, so if you just want to, I'll just give you guys the floor, and you can tell us how you guys met and how Smolder came to be. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, in, uh, it was back in 2013, I guess, is when we actually formed. We were at a party one night, and um, we decided, because, uh, you know, a lot of people were um, into, like, hard drugs and stuff, and, like, we'd go to parties, and, uh, you know, everyone would just go off and, like, do their own thing, and we'd be left by ourselves just, like, drinking, listening to music, and, like, one uh, one party, uh, we just went into the basement, Sarah jumped on the drums, uh, I picked up a guitar, and we just jammed for hours, and then... Um, yeah, for hours. That, <laughs> shortly after that, we, we decided to, to start a band, because we were both really into, um, you know, traditional doom metal, like from Bazaar and Candle Mass. Lampathoth. Yeah. And other people in uh, the comedy metal scene that were into that exact style of doom. Yeah, everyone else was doing sludge, and both of us were like, no, no sludge. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It has to be real doom. It yeah. has to be true doom. So, Agreed. Yeah, that, like, started the band, and obviously it's quite different now, because I was the drummer for the first five years, and Sean was the, was the, singer, yeah. was the guitarist and vocalist, um, and then we decided to, like, relocate to Toronto, just because, like, we had had other people play with us in Calgary, but, like, none of them ever worked out, none of them really knew what we were going for, and we really wanted to have, like, a serious go, and so we decided to move to Toronto, and then, like, within a year of moving here, everything just, like, fell into place really nicely, and then all of a sudden, our band got really famous really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, always a good thing. We had, uh, we had traveled to, um, a festival Frosting Fire for the reunion of Seth Hungle in yep. 2016, Yeah. and that's where, um, like, we traveled with, uh, Colin, uh, our now guitarist and um we told him about our band and uh you know showed him like some you know, drunken recordings of us uh <laughs> Garbage recording. And um, <laughs> he expressed it. Like, yeah, I guess we just, like, asked him if he would be interested in playing. Yeah, and then he us. got And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a good buddy of mine is a drummer. Um, I'll start talking to him. And then, uh, yeah, the next year, we finished up with two songs on the uh, on the debut demo. And ended up driving down to Illinois, rural Illinois, to record with them. And, yeah. <laughs> are, are there any recordings uh, from when Sean was the vocalist? Uh, yes, but <laughs> they will never, never be sure. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just old, like, you know, shitty iPhone recordings of us just jamming the same three songs over and over again. I think it was The Sword Woman, uh, Doom Over the World by Reverend Bazaar, and then um, 
The King is Gone, the song that we ended up uh, recording a cover of for the DVD demo. Yeah. If you look at the first album, it's just a quick glance. You see already you got Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard. You <laughs> see George Martin. Before we go any further, I got to say, what are Smolder's thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones Season 8? Oh, so bad. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking bad. Like, how <laughs> disappointing. What a disappointing uh, end to such a magnificent series. Yeah. And not only that, but, like, probably the best representation of a dragon on screen with the exception of Maybe fucking like, like I think it's yeah I think like, it is I mean, the like, best. It's probably it's like, better than both Dragonheart and uh, what's the other one? Dragon Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. There we I go. Love Dragonheart. Those two are like magnificent, but like that yeah. was like the best special effects of like a dragon ever. Oh yeah. And then like it. the whole story of like oh they just fucked it up so badly. <laughs> and, yeah, the eighth season it just felt like it was rushed. Like the, oh, was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was rushed, and they had two years. Weird, right? Yeah. yeah, it just got so strange. And not only that, but, like, they kind of, you know, like, they were trying to tie everything together in this really sloppy, awkward way. It ended up feeling like the, um, the or not the ninth episode, the, what was it? The Star Wars. The final Star Wars felt like that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, just, just sloppy like, and rushed and way too much, like, caring about what fans were saying, which, like, ends up, you know, having a negative impact on storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. So, anyway, back to what I was saying. So, all of that is uh, bound by almost a Lovecraftian style. And Sarah, we've done an email interview before where you touched on some of your influences, but I'm just going to give you the floor to expand on some of you guys' influences for your imagery and lyrics and stuff. Well, I mean, like, I think it's just like we're trying to be like the living embodiment of like Robert E. Howard paintings, um, but probably like a more feminist interpretation of Robert E. Howard paintings. Like, I mean, like, just like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. We've been like, we had a weekend. <laughs> But yeah, Frisetta is what I meant. Um but yeah, like just growing up, like my dad was a huge um Frisetta and Robert E. Howard fan and he had Frisetta paintings all over his uh his you know, his office and he had Conan comics everywhere and just kind of like getting into that world. I don't know, it must have been around the time I was about twenty where I started reading like the you know, the Sword Woman by Robert E. Howard and then getting more and more into like, you know, like the basically like the archetype of like the the strong female warrior and like that's when I started really bringing everything together and I think back then I mean like I, I, I probably started out with with uh, HP Lovecraft and just like really loved him but I'm also like huge I love like Kurt Vonnegut is like my favorite like writer and like I love dystopian dystopian future novels so I think all of that ended up kind of culminating in like weird pulp fiction sword and sorcery and just I don't know that kind of like archetypal hero where they don't necessarily have like a backstory they just like want to have an adventure so there's like the call to adventure right so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and vincent so do, do you get do you just approach each other and say hey i want to make this we're going to make a game of thrones song or is it how does that work do you just uh yeah i mean that one was that kevin one, and colin yeah that one specifically was written by colin and kevin yeah and, uh most of the lyrics had already been written for it yeah about um, half of them colin yeah. brought the lyrics for that song to me and all of us had been watching game of thrones like pretty um intensely at that point and the band chat was just every time the game was <laughs> aired it was all of us arguing yeah. and yelling um but and colin uh, brought that one to me and was like hey like i have this song about Jon snow and i looked at it and i was like you know what like i think we can make this about not just Jon snow but like Jon snow's lover and like about the battle between you know the north and the wildlings and mm -hmm. like turn it into a little bit more of a like a robust story so i ended up like rewriting 
a pretty substantial portion of it, and then it all came together into that very Blind Guardian esque speed metal song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, besides that one, like yeah, like um, when when we first started, uh, like immediately Sarah wanted to write a song about uh, the Sword Woman, like the book The Sword Woman. Um, yeah. And I had I had been a huge like uh, my my first like major interest in like fantasy and like well fantasy books at least um, was like Dragonlance. Okay. Did a lot of Dragonlance in high school and. Um, the first time I read the uh, the short story Voyage of the Sun Chaser, I was like, "Oh, I, I got to write a song about this." Like the uh, yeah. just the name of the song alone is like it's such a great song title. And um, I mean, I didn't have, I didn't actually end up writing the lyrics for it until like months before we recorded it, recorded the song. Yeah, but, Sword uh, Woman was like five I knew years I, in the making. <laughs> I knew I had always wanted to write a song about it, and then. Um, it was around 2014 or 15 when I started getting back into um, to reading like like fantasy and sci-fi and stuff. Yeah, eventually I was like, yeah, we we, we should write a song about um, the Eternal Champion, Michael Moorcock's character. And Hell I like, yeah. There's, yeah. There's one book that has like a female incarnation, so I was like, yeah. Sarah, you should be yeah Alien Garethorn yeah mm-hmm. and I mean we have like we're writing the second album right now and we're about two thirds of the way through and it seems like Eternal Champion is going to be there'll be another song that's um, good news <laughs> yeah. there'll be another more talking oh yeah Speaking of Michael Moorcock, how about do you have a thoughts on the the Michael Moorcock Witcher business? What's what's going on with that? Oh so, well, uh, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of never mind. We won't we don't have to go into that if, you, if it's not an issue. <laughs> I knew they were making, Are um, you talking about the show Witcher? No, there's a there's a lot of plagiarism uh, plagiarism issues coming out uh, now about Michael the Witcher plagiarizing a lot of uh, Elric. Oh really? Huh? Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's out there. So yeah, we don't have to talk about it. Never mind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah neither neither of us have like the... read or watched or played The Witcher. Yeah. Oh, that's people say to us like, "Oh, you'd be interested," and I think both of us just like we're we're a little ensconced in like too old of <laughs> pulpy. Crap. Oh yeah, if you if <laughs> as familiar as you guys are with Moorcock, if you read The Witcher, you would be like, "Oh my god, <laughs> it's yeah. truly bad." <laughs> it's really on the nose. It's pretty bad. Is it like? Are we talking like you know, like the dude who stole like Robert E. Howard's shit? That bad? See, I'm not even aware of that myself. <laughs> okay, I was like, like is he like just like using skeleton frames and then like claiming like same name? I mean, Geralt is called the White Wolf. He's uh, I know he's he's pale. There's there's plenty of stuff out there. It's there's multiple videos of hours of content about him. Oh really? Oh, okay. oh yeah. But yeah, that's that's a touchy subject there. Uh, yeah, I was like, I was wondering if it was like similar to like what Elsbrug the Camp did to Robert E. Howard, but it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> oh, what what happened there? Well, Elsbrug the Camp was like the dude who took over Robert E. Howard's uh, like stories and started like publishing them after Robert E. Howard died, because like Robert E. Howard died really young, right? Like he committed right. suicide after his mother was sick. And so Elsprag de Camp um, was the fellow who got involved with the stories and then started like publishing them. But he claimed that he had been heavily editing everything that Robert E. Howard did. And so he would claim co-author credits and that it meant that he was like collecting way more royalties than he should have been. And so he ended up like ripping off like the Howard family for like a substantial amount of money. And then when other writers got involved, they were all like, uh, actually, like, he hasn't really done any amendments at all. Like, he's blaming, like, ownership over these texts that he didn't have any involvement in. And so he, like, Elsbrug de Camp ended up getting, like, very severely disgraced. And it 
like came close to like ruining his career even though he was like a very like accomplished like fantasy author but he ripped off Robert E. Howard and like claimed that his writing was his own quite uh, quite aggressively <laughs> oh no there's no money involved here this is strictly just um, Michael Moorcock has commented on it and said basically I don't care you know yeah do what you want he doesn't really care about the property but uh, the fans are upset you know <laughs> they are of course <laughs> They all in their butts. <laughs> so, Sarah, how did you uh, get started at Banger, and how did you meet Sam? Um, I actually met Sam, like, when I was doing my undergraduate degree. Um, so I, like, I did my degree in journalism, um, and both Vincent and I were involved with this festival in Calgary called Noctis. And so Sam came to speak um, as an archaeologist at my university about, like, the, you know, the sociology of heavy metal. This was before uh, Metal Headbangers journey came out. And so when that happened, I ended up interviewing him and chatting with him. And then, like, shortly after the documentary came out, and then uh, Therese, the woman who ran Noctis Festival, she ended up booking him for, like, some of the conference talks. So, like, I've professionally known Sam for, like, a good decade. Um, and, I've like, when Banger started, like, I was still living in Alberta. So, like, you know, there was really no way for me to be involved. But when we ended up moving to Ontario, I actually emailed Banger um, and was like, are you guys looking for a staff person? And that email never got responded to. But about six months after I moved to Toronto, that's when they started Banger TV. Uh, and the woman who ran the um, Banger TV, Lisa, she reached out to me and was like, hey, like, we would really like you to audition so that was that was like the start I mean it was just kind of like fortuitous that we had moved right when we did like I knew professionally it was going to be really good for me because I've been in the music industry now for you know 15 years and I kind of like reached the top of the level that I could be at in Calgary just because like the music industry there is not nearly as um, strong or entrenched so part of the reason for us to move here was for both for like our band and for my career to like have a lot more opportunities and ultimately, right. that was a very good call. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So something we talk about a lot since we interview a lot of uh, filmmakers in the horror industry is uh, box art and with you guys and specifically metal bands album art when when you guys are young and you're going through the record store the video store you know there's no streaming there's no youtube yeah mm -hmm. you, what you see is what you get you know so how important is it for well, you guys have excellent album art first of all uh how important is it for you guys to nail that you know you don't want to the last thing you want to do is betray someone's trust on an album art <laughs> yeah it's definitely important i mean yeah. like i think it's like number one i mean for me at least like i i mean i'm, I'm a few years older than um Vincent and I'm the I guess I'm the second oldest person in the band but like up until when Adam joined I was the oldest person in the band and so I I came before the internet was like really being used as like a musical tool so like my first introduction to heavy metal was going to you know a CD shop when I was like 13 14 having never had heard anything inside and just buying CDs based on like the cover artwork and so like that was just like such an intrinsic part of me growing up me becoming an avid reader me becoming an avid film fan was just buying things because they looked cool and like my first heavy metal band was Iron Maiden and like Iron Maiden was like what you see is what you get so oh, yeah. like being introduced to them first and seeing you know the iconography of Eddie like Eddie is such an iconic like cover mascot like having that be your first heavy metal band and your first like you know this the thing that cements you down into it and then growing up with like you know Frazetta paintings and being like okay like this is what fantasy looks like it's like this thing it just it just meant that like when Smolder finally like when we finally got all of our shit together for Smolder like 
it took years for us to really find the perfect album cover. Mm -hmm. And like, I had reached out to like hundreds of artists trying to figure out like what we wanted and what we were going for. And I knew that I like wanted something that you saw it and you were like, damn, like that kicks you in the teeth and like, it sends a message. And one day, like Vincent and I were out shopping and like, we were just looking at, no, we were looking at a junk shop and there was a book in the, in the junk shop that Vincent found and it was a Michael Whelan, um, like a compendium of his art. And so he bought it and then like, we, five bucks. I was like, sure, this looks cool. Yeah. And then we like brought it and we're like sitting in the living room and I opened it and I saw the Well of Shuen, which is the album cover. And I just like looked at it and I was like, okay, this is our album cover. And that was the first time I saw it. And I just was like, nope, this is what we're using. And it took years to make it work. But yeah, it took a long time to actually <laughs> get a response out of uh, Whelan. Yeah, like, he's, he's busy. He's very successful. Like, he didn't need to <laughs> get a relationship with us. Like, it wasn't to his benefit. It was definitely to ours. But we now have a relationship with him, which is great. So, yeah. like, the EP was, like, the same thing. Like, you know, we found the perfect picture. And it just ended up being, like, very, a lot of synchronicity because, like, yeah. We covered the Manila Road song and talked about Castle and two of the tracks. Like, there's this woman who's, like, trumping, like, tr- like tromping through the snow to, like, this obvious castle, like, in the sky with, like, magic. And it mm-hmm. just, like, worked really well. And, like, we have the album artwork already for the second album set up. And I just, like, we're, like, creating songs around that. And it just, it feels like there's just a lot of, like, synchronicity and, like, yeah. having that perfect album artwork to, like represent what's what's inside what 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 really came first what was your first love uh both of you you know the 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 fantasy aspect or the metal aspect i think for me it was the fantasy aspect i think like yeah i was i was reading uh dragonlance and stuff like shortly before i actually got into heavy metal like i'd read lord of the rings previously and like um some other like fantasy um uh like trilogies and whatnot and then yeah when i started listening to heavy metal and like noticing like how much influence um, like fantasy had on it. Like it just all connected for me and I was I just went in full tilt. Yeah, I think it's the same. I mean like I'm I'm in the Harry Potter generation. Like when I was in grade one or two is when the first book came out. And that, like, at that time, you know, I was, like, I got picked on a lot when I was younger. I was not a cool person, Um, you know, and I read a lot, and I read all the time. Like, by the time I was in, like, grade four, I was reading, you know, 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I was reading Dracula. I was reading Harry Potter. I was reading, you know, Island of the Blue Dolphins, Little Women, like, all those, um, those books that have, like, tinges of fantasy. And so I think, like, Harry Potter was probably the first book that I was, like, oh, this is interesting and cool. And then it came after that it was like the you know that series by philip pullman the one that i made you read oh uh, his dark materials his, his dark materials which also came out when i was in elementary school and like the hobbit of course being like one of the first books that i think i ever really remember reading when i was like 10 years old so it's just so intimately entwined like everything is so yeah like the <laughs> yeah deeply yeah. embedded you know the more fantasy and like you know, sword and sorcery books i read the more i noticed that you know bands and like songs i've been listening to for years have been influenced by all it. of it yeah like it, it, it's almost like you know every like third book i read it's like i rec- i start recognizing things from that because like I've, I've i've heard like a metal band singing about it you know yeah or vice versa I yeah think. yeah so do either of you do any any fiction writing or has that ever been something you've, you've approached um well, I'm like, uh, I mean, I've been a published author now for 15 years. Like, I'm, I'm a metal journalist, obviously. Um, but I'm also like done, you know, tons of creative writing. And so part of that creative writing is like the lyrics 
for Smolder now. Right. Things, like he does Ezra Brooks. Yeah, I've been writing like lyrics like for the bands I've been in for a long time. Yeah, and but, Chrome, and you did a Gate Correction. Yeah, and, and um, but yeah, my like my my solo project Ezra Brooks, like I've created like a whole like sci-fi like fantasy universe, and like all the yeah, like I've I've got I've got ideas for short stories and stuff. I've like I've started writing some of them. Um, Such a mess because both of us are like very creative people, and I yeah. think like we're just. We pretty much pour everything that creatively that we've been doing for the last like five years into, you know, Smolder or for you as a Brooks. For yeah. me, it's Smolder and Banger and Bandcamp. So it's like, those are my, <laughs> and now it's like, I'm doing the illustrations for the upcoming Smolder album. And like, we've chatted with the buddy who does the DMR books and like DMR books is this really great um, publisher working out of Chicago. Um, that's run by Dave Ritzlin and he's this fellow who uh, publishes books of like short stories written by heavy metal musicians. Right, right. Yeah, so like we've chatted with him and um, but it, I think it's just that we're both really fixated on what's been happening with Smolder just because mm-hmm. it got so much bigger than we ever anticipated and so yeah. much faster so it like ended up eating up like all of our time. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but eventually I'd like to, to have some you know, short stories published, but yeah, that's that's years away. What's the uh, timeline looking like on the second album? Uh, it's really dependent on COVID right now. I think. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, obviously, like with us getting trapped in Greece um, in March, we lost so much money. Like that was supposed to be our first tour of Europe, our first tour, mm-hmm. and so that was a pretty big loss, I think, for all five of us. Um, and obviously, a big financial loss because you know we had paid for our flights and all that other stuff to like get out and go do all that shit so like right now we're kind of just i think grappling with like what's going to happen to the entertainment industry in the next couple of years because what it looks like is like there's not going to be concerts until october of next year which means touring you know like we've recently found out our american bandmates are not going to be allowed into the eu as per like the regulations from flights right like everything's very like everything's up in the air it's very like well we don't fucking know (laughs) like (laughs) In terms of, like, an actual release of the album, though, I mean, I mean, we like, don't have anything planned yet, but the songs aren't even done yet. Like, Yeah, maybe, it'll be 2021 or 2022. Maybe by the end of the year we'll finish writing it, um, depending, on, depending on what the situation's like. Maybe we'll record it next year. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, like, we originally aimed to have it out by next summer to do, like, touring and stuff, but now that, like, the pandemic has kind of, like, got the world in its grip, I think uh, probably that timeline's going to be a bit longer, just because we, we have the time. And yeah, we, we're, t- we're going to take our time. Yeah. And all our favorite bands, like, our favorite bands aren't putting out albums every year or two. Our favorite bands are putting out albums every, like, five years. So, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Atlantean Codex every ten years. Appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, like, Eternal Champion being a good example, you know? Like, they put out their album, what, 2016? Yeah, 2016. And it's now 2020, and it's, uh, yeah. it's in sight. Like, you know, and, and it's not just them. It's, like, it's like everybody who's, like, you know... I, well, I think, everybody but Trevor William Church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's like a riff machine. But he, I mean, that's like his job, right? So it's like he's doing that 100% of the time, whereas like, you know, all five of us in the band, we all have careers um, right, yeah. that we're quite invested in. Um, and we have other shit on the go. So, you know, we can't quite just drop everything and just spend all the time writing mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as we'd like to. <laughs> I did get a lot of writing, though, in when, um, when we were quarantining, like, immediately back in Greece. So that was nice. But... Yeah. So are you guys big horror movie fans? We have, like, I'd say we're more, like, sword and sorcery fans. Yeah. And, like, animation fans. But, yeah, like, definitely more sword and sorcery. Um, so many sword and sorcery. 
sorcery movies. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite sword and sorcery film? Um, For me, I think it's The Devil's Sword. Mine's okay. Probably, that movie's fucking awesome. Mine's probably the first Deathstalker or Conquest. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Conquest. Conquest is fucking awesome. And con- yeah, and, and it's funny because like Conquest is like it's probably like one of the more horror. Oh well, yeah, it's, it's like yeah, it's Lucio Fulci, so yeah, but yeah, like the, either the Devil's Sword or Dragon Slayer or Sorceress, just because it gets so fucking crazy by the end. Yeah, that's, that with ridiculous. the ridiculous porno twins and the fucking sky like lion, lion who shoots yeah. lasers. <laughs> Sorceress is definitely a, a favorite of mine. That one's really good. So cheesy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Your girl children? <laughs> children. They're just touching like each other's boobs. Like, we are girls. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> and there's zombies, so like what what else do you need really? <laughs> and of course you can never go wrong with the old Arnold Conans. Uh Conan's incidentally, great. I am not a Arnold Conan fan. You're not? No, I so this is actually also tied to the fact that like my dad was such a hardcore Conan fan. But like if you go through the first, you know, twenty or so Conan books, like one of the main points that it they drive into over and over is like Conan was not some kid whose family was murdered. Like he's not on like on a revenge spree. He's a dude who is like, I want to go out and adventure and like conquer the world but he didn't have like a compelling backstory and like not only that but like they drive into over and over and over he's a cimmerarian and like arnie like they made it so it was a revenge story about a blonde dude which like both of those things are not conan so like the the whole premise is like kind of strange like the film itself is like obviously very beautiful but i actually like really prefer for like being true to robert e howard's vision like like call the conqueror i think it's like a much better and more accurate representation of like a robert e howard story or even like red sonia but obviously like red sonia was not robert e howard's creation like red sonia is an amalgamation of um of Ford woman who is dark agnes and then the other woman from the shadow of the vulture um who you know like they're both redheads and then red sonia came later with this fucking stuff <laughs> but that's that's a whole co- conversation about comic <laughs> dark horse and all that other stuff but <laughs> well yeah. yeah i can't really defend the uh those conan movies on being accurate yeah they're definitely not accurate no. the ones with the one that Jason Manoa or Manoma I can't I, yeah, I never Jason say his Manoma. name right uh, but the one that Jason Manoma did was actually like pretty accurate to like the actual Conan but I think because it was such a weirdly sloppy like strangely thrown together movie and because it was like filmed for 3D it just like it very much fell flat on its face mm-hmm. um, which is too bad and then there was supposed to be that new Red Sonja with uh, Rose McGowan which would have been cool but then <laughs> Rose McGowan went completely back shit fucking crazy (laughs) (laughs) so that's too bad though because like i mean bridget nielsen did a great job i think of red sonia like that's a sweet movie it's lame the poster because he's in the movie for like four minutes yeah he's like bigger (laughs) on the poster than she is well it's because they were like oh a conan tie-in which is the same thing that they were doing with like dex offer one through four three when they were like oh we better do a new one or like all those other movies that i recently purchased which are Mm -hmm. all crap (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of crap in the sword and sorcery. So I have a question about the uh, gear that you use. I'm a guitar player myself, Vincent. I'm just curious in terms of your preference 
as far as your guitars go, like... Um, I'm not, like, a huge gear guy. Uh, <laughs> like, for the longest time, like, I was just playing, you know, like, a beginner Fender Strat. And then, like, uh, before we recorded the, the album, um, I bought a, an Ibanez uh, Roadster 2. Um, That's a good one. Which I've been playing um, ever since. But, um... There's also that Charvel, though, right? Oh, that's, uh... Well, no, Colin. I... That's, yeah, that's Colin's... No, guitar. I know, but, like, didn't you record some with it? No, I recorded the Sordom and with a uh, Gibson SG, oh, um, right. which I would I would love to get one of those. It's a fucking absolute classic guitar. Um, right. And it plays really nice. A bit on the... Well, I guess in terms of guitars, it's not that expensive, but I'd like to get one of those one day. And, I mean, I, I use a... Um, what's the name of... I've got a, a Carvin, a Carvin uh, guitar. Okay. Which I, lo- I love the sound of it. It's great. Um, yeah, there's so many guitars. That's what I've used. To, <laughs> I used that to record um, and the, uh, the, the latest EP. But yeah, I normally, like, when we go play a gig or something, I'll just, like, I'll just use what's available. <laughs> oh, that's good to go. I'm, like, slowly starting to get more and more into, like, you know, gear and stuff. So, like, I think my next, like, gear purchase, whatever it would be, would be a, a better guitar. Um, well, yeah, it's just, like, we... That definitely helps. <laughs> Uh, we're in a unique position where, like, we often can't bring our gear with us to to play because if we're playing mm-hmm. in the states, like, there's yeah, like you know, requirements with visas. So we're basically going over as tourists, which means we can't bring stuff. So yeah, whenever uh, yeah, yes. it puts us in like a little bit of a vulnerable position, obviously. Um, so yeah, when, whenever you know the shows we played in the U.S., I've just uh, I've just borrowed Colin's gear. Yeah, it's had to be like yeah, like, which has been great because his guitars are all way nicer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's my biggest thing is it has to be a comfy guitar like if it feels good you'll want to play it you know and you'll do the best you can you don't want to be in pain <laughs> the gibson sg is definitely the most comfortable guitar and like i played this or no i played a, a gibson uh, i think it was a les paul i have one of those <laughs> uh, nice. played in germany that was a guitar that i borrowed to play and that one was really nice also yeah that would have been something that we would have tackled this year had we been doing all the touring yeah that we had scheduled yeah it would have been nice <laughs> see all those shows in Greece, so. <laughs> right yeah. yeah i fucked up some of our plans i would mm-hmm. say <laughs> Oh, that's my that's my gear um opinions, I, guess. <laughs> I got you that's good to you yeah. i used to play shows a little bit um and i got tired of lugging around a tube amp started using a kemper i copied my my amp onto it and all okay yeah we can run it through uh, other other bands we played it was definitely a smaller package so like we could use their tube amps as the power section and everything then i could have my tone on whatever <laughs> Game tone, whatever, whatever, if you're playing. Yeah. yeah, it's been kind of an interesting challenge for Smolder, just because, like, we have two members who live in another country. The three of us are here in Toronto. So, like, generally, because we're often having to play other people's gear or we're flying in for a single show and then flying out, what we end up usually doing, well, what we've done for every gig is that we, like, get our gear sorted then we arrive city, we have a rehearsal with that gear at a rehearsal space that we rent in that city, and then we'll play the next day. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're not going in, you know, blind. Like, we've... On some new stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, we, yeah, like we, we figure out exactly what we're playing and what we're borrowing and everything, and then we have the rehearsal. But, like, it, it, is, it is a weird challenge being in a band that um, you have five members who are spread across two countries. Yeah, and, like... I can't uh, blast my my full stack in in in, a, in an apartment, you know. So yeah. 
I practice on like my little practice am. Um, yeah, we have a pretty r- ridiculous like setup. Like the three of us, like myself, Vincent, and Adam, we always jam, but we literally jam in like my bedroom because we can, you know. Yeah, we yeah. just belong to call uh, to Kevin's like just raw drums, and then yeah. But we like we practice a lot, right? Like going to a gig, like we would be doing rehearsals like three days a week for like eight weeks before a concert, kind of thing. Like we're we're always ready, we're always super tight, we're always like good to go. But yeah, it's just because of all of our unique circumstances that it ends up looking a little bit ridiculous. It's like, oh, you want to have a rehearsal in my bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works. You guys uh, keeps you tight and oiled together. You're good to go. I've been there before for sure. Yeah, you're just like you just make it work the way that you can. So yeah, that's been been the smody guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a hundred percent fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> You keep it fun though. That's the that's uh that's good to go. Do you guys have a favorite song to play live? I I like playing Blackout's Kiss. Um, I do too. We we haven't we've only played it at like two shows just because it's, it's quite a long song. But um yeah. But yeah, we I love Blackout's Kiss. Yeah. I think that's like my favorite Smolder song. But I mean, like every show is different because like you you know you write your set list to accommodate that show. Um and so for example, like we have you know that cover of that Manila Road song, uh, Cage of Mirrors. And, like, mm-hmm. we performed that in Chicago at Legions of Metal last year, and we did that specifically because it's, like, a U.S. power metal, very oriented festival. We knew that, like, everybody was, like, you know, grieving the relatively recent loss of Mark Shelton. And, like, we were supposed to be playing a, a festival in Germany in, like, you know, a week here. Yeah. Um, and that festival was actually, like, the one where Mark passed away, like, after the performance mm-hmm. at it. So, like, we would have played it there as well. And, it, you know, it, like, that would have been a special part right. of that show mm-hmm. versus, like, you know, another gig where, like, we played with Witch Mountain uh, two summers ago. And, like, we decided to do, like, a Doom setup, like, a Doom lineup for that. And, like, we've been to other shows where it's like, okay, let's do our power metal. Like, we're going to keep everything things like heavy and like fast faster, as possible yeah. and, like, it's basically we'll switch out like bastard steel and like blackouts kiss like based on the vibe mm-hmm. but oh man like there there's a bunch of shows like we were supposed to do that tour in greece and like we were scheduled to headline the second festival we were playing with riot um and obviously rest in peace to lou mm-hmm. who died like three days before we were supposed to headline a festival with his band um but yeah like it was you know, we had that set up, and we were like, okay, we're headlining the show. Like, we've got an hour and ten minutes so we that we're play, performing. Like, we can play every song. We play an entire album. And... <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, we got some fun covers that we, you know, have, have worked a lot on, too. So, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've uh, kept you guys long enough. I know you guys are tired, and uh, <laughs> that was definitely definitely a great interview. And we appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Yeah, you, if you guys could like send us a link when it's edited, or do you just like use? Oh no, I'll, I'm gonna I'll be up editing it tonight. I'll probably have it up in the morning. <laughs> okay, good. I was like, please do not. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it. And uh, yeah, this was live. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like everybody yeah. listening. We've made that mistake before. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the witcher. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys, uh, do you guys have like, where can people find you? You know, obviously. Uh, yeah. 
So if you want to buy any of our music, just head to smolder.bandcamp.com. That's like the number one best way to support us directly. We're also on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, you can also purchase us if you're international from Cruz del Sur. And they're at, what is it, cruzdelsurmusic.com and yeah. cruzdelsur.bandcamp.com. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, I'll definitely send you guys this when I get it all done up. And we we'll thank you one more time. Cool. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Bye.